Beautiful. Thank you, Melissa. Appreciate that. Those going to junior church can follow Carlene out the back door there. While they're doing that, uh, uh, Nick had mentioned Camp Halawasa, or Al did in his prayer, Camp Halawasa. I'm just going to put a plug in for help with the junior camp, 4th, 5th, and 6th grade camp. If uh, you would love to be involved this summer with cooking, we need uh, a nurse. Um, we, we just need help in different ways. Uh, July 8th through 13th, I believe, Sunday through that Friday. So talk to myself, talk to Bruce, who's waving his hand since they might not know. Bruce, uh, about that camp, and we we'll get you lined up. Uh, it'll be a great time. All right, grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're nearing the end of this series of following Jesus in a messy world. Uh, For the past few weeks, the Apostle Paul has been defending his status, his credentials as a true Apostle of, of Jesus Christ. And he did that not because he really cared what people might think about him, but because he cared very much uh, about the uh, truth of the gospel, and he also wanted to protect those members of of the church that were being led astray by these false teachers. And so today we come up to this section where he begins wrapping up his arguments in terms of this defense of his ministry. I'm just going to begin by reading verse 11 of Second Corinthians chapter 12. It says this. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Father God, again, we're just uh, so grateful for the opportunity to gather together like this openly and publicly, to be able to worship you, to proclaim your word. And uh, we pray today that your spirit would just be free to work in hearts and minds Uh, to do the good work you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as he has already done uh, several times in the past few chapters, uh, Paul reminds the uh, Corinthian church uh, of the foolishness of this whole situation of him having to defend themselves and compare himself uh, with the self-proclaimed apostles uh, that were leading the church astray. And you'll notice that he says that he does not consider himself to be inferior to even the most imminent uh, apostles. And it could be that that's a, a reference to the 12 apostles that, that Jesus had commissioned on earth, uh, Paul could have been saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm on equal standing with those guys just as they were commissioned directly by Jesus Christ, so was I. Uh, He wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 that he was Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So see, it wasn't himself It wasn't uh, some pastor, it wasn't a church, it wasn't some ecclesiastical board or anything else that had commissioned the Apostle Paul and given him that uh, position. It was Jesus Christ himself. And so he says, I I am, uh, these 12 apostles who are recognized as the pillars of the church, he says, I'm on equal standing with them. So it could be that he was, you know, making a reference to that, but... It's actually uh, more likely 
that he was using this as a sarcastic term referring to these so-called apostles that were trying to take over the church in Corinth. And actually it might be a term that these Corinthian apostles had called themselves and given to themselves in order to give themselves a higher status in the church. The word literally means, in the Greek literally means super apostle. And so it could be that these guys were saying, hey, Paul says, says he's an apostle of Christ. Well, we're super apostles. And he's using that same term uh, uh, against them. And actually he uses the term twice in this book. And the first time he uses it in chapter 11, the context really seems to, to indicate that he's using it sarcastically uh, about uh, these guys. So in essence, Paul is still sitting here comparing himself with them. But he but he's using these verses to show the Corinthian church that he should have never even been put in this position in the first place. Uh, these guys, those leaders there, they, they claim to be these super apostles. His claim for himself, according to this verse, is what? I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. So the question is, who were the real apostles, the real ministers of God. And rather than having to defend himself, he is saying, you know what? You guys should have been the one to, to come to my defense. I, I actually should have been commended by you. And here's the reason why. He, he tells them why they should have known there shouldn't have been any of this controversy to start with. Verse 12. Because the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Now, those uh, three words, they don't refer to like three different categories or types of miracles so much as three different characteristics or traits or, or attributes that come out of uh, miracles. The word sign uh, designates their ability, the miracle's ability to authenticate the, the message. That's why if you've, if you've read through the gospel accounts, you'll, you'll see frequently where the Pharisees are demanding a sign from Jesus. Give us a sign. They wanted authentic, uh, authentication of Jesus' claim uh, to be the Messiah. And so they, they're wanting that. That's what a sign does. It authenticates. Whereas a wonder speaks more specifically to the, the ability of that miracle to inspire awe and, and amazement in, in those uh, who witness it. And then a miracle, uh, the, the basic definition of that is something that is done uh, and accomplished through divine power as opposed to something that could be uh, accomplished by any natural or human uh, means. And so putting it all together, uh, we could say that miracles are supernatural uh, events that were performed by the apostles as signs authenticating them as genuine messengers of God. And the wonder of them crema created amazement in the onlookers, uh, drawing the crowd's attention to the veracity, the truth of the message that they were proclaiming. And so an example of that 
Uh, comes from the Apostle Paul's very first missionary journey. If you're reading uh, through the book of Acts, chapter 13 is where, where uh, the church at Antioch takes Barnabas and Paul, commissions them, sends them off on their first missionary journey, and they head to the island of Cyprus first. And they're preaching the gospel out through the island. And one of the political leaders on the island hears about uh, what they are doing, and, and this proconsul decides he would like to have them come and speak to him. And so he brings Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul into them. They start sharing the gospel, but this political leader has an advisor by his side, and this advisor is described as a magician and false prophet. Well, in those days, a magician was a person who practiced occult activity, uh, dabbled in the occult uh, things, so, so he was this occult false teacher. And he, as, as Paul was preaching the gospel, he began refuting it and distracting it and trying to downplay it and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so God gave Paul the ability to perform a miracle, and he caused a blindness to fall upon this uh, false teacher's eyes, which also caused him to shut up. And then that way, Paul was able to finish the gospel presentation to this political leader. And the results of all this are, are described for us in verse 12 of Acts 13 where it says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So you see the, the miracle displayed God's divine power causing awe and wonder and it led to that proconsul to be amazed at what? Not at the miracle, not at Paul, who performed the miracle, but the verse says he was amazed at the teaching. It brought often, uh, it authenticated the message. It proved that it was true. And the apostles were given the ability to do miracles in order to authenticate the message that Christ commissioned them to, to preach throughout the known world at that time and also that the apostles then would be recording for us in the New Testament. And that's why the apostles uh, are known as the foundation of the church. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's only one cornerstone in a building, there's, and that was Jesus Christ. There's one foundation, and it was the apostles. And so now Paul's argument back in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is that these miracles that he did acted as signs of a true apostle. They authenticated him and, and his, his ministry and his teaching to them. If miracles were commonplace and could be performed by just any old believer at any old time, then how would they be a sign of an apostleship? See, it had to be something that was limited and unusual that set him and, and the rest of the apostles apart. I mean, a, a sign is something that differentiates one thing from another. If you walk into a grocery store and it's got a whole rack of apples sitting across there, how do you know which apples are the Honeycrisp apples? Because those are the ones you want, the Honeycrisp. Well, you have to check the sign. The sign is which one that lets you know. In the same way, 
You know, they're all apples, but there's only one group of Honeycrisp apples. In the same way, we're all Christians. How do we know, you know, we have different functions, different roles within the body of Christ. How do we know which ones are the true apostles of Christ? You check the signs. That, that's what the Bible says. And Paul's telling these Corinthian Christians that there should have been no doubt in their mind who was the true apostle between himself and these so-called super apostles. He was the one who was authenticated by the signs. And then, then he goes on, even if that wasn't true, they should have known because of his track record. He had done the same thing already in numerous churches across the region, had taught them all the same things, and treated them all in the same way. Look at verse 13. For in what way or what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Okay, Again, he's using a little sarcasm there to make his point. He didn't take any money from them. He treated them the exact same way he treated every other church except for he didn't take any money from them. He had taught clearly, in fact, he had taught to this particular church clearly that uh, a, a pastor that's teaching the church the, and building into their lives spiritually should be able to expect uh, to gain a living from the church. That, that was not the issue, but for some reason, Paul had had chosen not to take any money from these guys. Now, we don't know why. Uh, he never says why. But, but his point is that, he, that uh, his teaching had been the same through all of them. And, and therefore, there shouldn't have been any controversy uh, where he was forced to compare himself to the, these guys uh, and, and try to prove his credentials. They had already been proven by his ministry, his work with them, his consistency in his life. He, he says it's a done deal. You guys know who is true and who is not. So now as he, he wraps this up and, and finishes this, he, he begins to pour out his heart concerning the right and, and the biblical attitude that a true minister of the gospel will have. And again, one, one would assume that he is doing this in contrast to what they've been experiencing by these false teachers that have been in their midst. He's contrasting uh, the heart of a true minister from these guys. And, and uh, that's what I, I really want to focus on uh, for the rest of the day. And maybe you're thinking, well, okay, if, if he's focusing on you know, the heart of uh, true ministry and, and ministers, then uh, that, you know, that only applies to pastors and missionaries and stuff. So I guess I get the rest of the sermon off. And, and you don't, you can't start taking a nap yet, and here's why. Because the Bible says that in some aspect, in some way, every single one of us is a minister to someone else. That's, that's our role in the body of Christ. Every, every one of us have that aspect of that role. Not, not necessarily a preacher, but a minister. Remember that the word minister and servant uh, are frequently interchangeable in the New Testament. In fact, it is the same Greek word that can be translated as either a minister or a servant. And so when the Bible tells every single Christian, but through love, serve or minister to one another, it's pointing out that that is what we are called to do. We're all called to minister to someone. And sometimes you may minister through 
teaching God's truths to one another. Perhaps you will lead a Bible study or teach a Sunday school class or help lead children's church or um, uh, trail life or, or some of these other types of ministries that you can be involved in. But really, the truth is, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, we teach each other in, in a lot of different ways outside of those formal situations. Just one example, perhaps as, as, as a parent. If you are a parent, one of your main jobs is to pass on the truths of God's word to your children. And, and one of the easiest ways to do this is to take the normal uh, everyday interactions, but tie it into to truths from God's scripture. So well, let's say you have, you know, just a small little child in your house and they're looking out the window one day and they say, oh, look at the pretty bird out there, right? Now you've got a couple of different ways you can respond to that. You can say, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. And then you just like miss the whole opportunity. Uh, we don't do this. Or you could minister to that child. You could say, Oh, isn't it amazing how God has created so many beautiful things for us to enjoy? Now you, now you taught a little bit about God and that child. Or you could take it to an even deeper level very naturally, very easily, right? Because you could say to that child, Did you know that God says that he takes care of all the birds, that not one bird falls to the ground without him knowing about it, and that you are much more valuable than any bird, and therefore God is going to take care of you too. Boom! You just ministered to your child just like that. You know, like this. You are passing on God's truth. And you know what? We can all do that. As a grandparent, uncle, aunt, church member, Sunday school teacher, whoever, we have that opportunity. So who's a minister? Well, let me put it this way. If you're here and you have a, a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a child, if you have a friend, a husband, a wife, if you have a coworker, a classmate, a church family member, you're a minister. You're called to be a minister. You not only have the opportunity to minister to someone, but according to the Bible, you actually have the obligation to do it. Do you know that biblically, one of the reasons that you are here this morning is so that you can minister to someone else. See, if you, if you show up on church Sunday morning and all you're thinking about or all you're wondering about is, boy, I wonder what I can get out of today, you missed a big part of the reason God wants you to be here. He wants you to be here so that you can positively impact someone else, which means there's also a hundred other people here that could possibly, possi pos positively, possibly, positively, pos they might impact you in a good way. 
That's what we're called to do. Church is not just about what you can get out of it. It's how you can interact with other people. So in these remaining verses, Paul begins to share his heart in the ways that he has ministered to the Corinthians. And I believe that in them we can see three different attitudes of the heart that that we ought to cultivate and maintain if we truly want to be a minister to other people, to one another. And the first one comes out of verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 gives us the example first. It says this, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So out of that example, we can see that the first attitude that we want to cultivate in our heart is to understand that, you know what, it's not about you, it's about other people. And Paul uses the example of parents and children. In a normal situation, it is the children, uh, it is the parents who are taking care of the children, not the children taking care of the parents. The the children are not the ones who are saving up and providing for the needs of the parents. It's the other way around. As parents, we are always seeking ways to invest in our kids and make their lives better. As parents, we look for ways to help our kids maximize their talents and and to accomplish their goals and, and to encourage them to dream big dreams. When you are parenting your child, it is not about what you can gain from them. It's about what you can pour into their life. That, that's, that's what parenting is. He's just using that, that basic example. And so going on from that example, he then, he then uh, describes how this uh, attitude should function in our lives. Verse 15, I will most gladly... Spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you, the more am I to be loved less. Spend and be expended. I mean, that's what parents do, right? If we truly want to minister to other people, we need to be willing to do that ourselves, to spend and be extended for their souls, for their sake. So the, the Greek word for spend literally means to spend freely. This is a a word that describes the guy who just throws his money around like it's growing on trees. Yeah, we'll just buy that. We'll just do that. In fact, this is the word that was used in the uh, parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son when it described how that guy was spending his dad's inheritance. You know, just he just spent it wantonly, freely all over the place. It was a, a no holds barred, no limit spending spree. That's what that word means. You're going to spend. And then to be expended, that word means to be completely spent. So when it was used financially, it was used of of the person who spent every last penny until he was flat broke. But usually this word was not applied to finances. It was applied to a person, their physical and emotional reserves. A lot of you know that in high school I, I was a wrestler. And I remember uh, one time, one particular practice, where um, the coach was just pushing us extra hard. I don't know 
if he was mad at us or I don't remember the details, what had gone on, but he was really pushing us. And for some reason, the whole team was, was really responding to this. So we were pushing one another and we were just going all out. And a- after practice ended, I-, I walked into the locker room and I remember just barely being able to move my legs. And, and we had a, a Gatorade available to us, so I picked up a can of Gatorade. That was back before they had plastic bottles and stuff. Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and so I had this can of Gatorade, and I sit down on a bench. And, and as I'm sitting on the benches, cans between my legs, I'm holding this, and I remember sitting there staring at the can, wishing I was drinking it. But I was too tired to lift it up and pull the tab. So I just sat there and stared at it. I was exhausted. I didn't have one ounce of energy left to do anything. And I don't know how long I sat there like that. That's what this word expended means. And so... A willingness to spend and be expended. That's the attitude we we have to cultivate if we really want to minister to others because it's not about us. It's not about what it costs us. It's not about what we need, what we want, what we desire. It's about other people. It's about giving to meet needs. It's about building them up. We have to have that kind of heart, that kind of attitude. And if we do, I guarantee you, you will positively impact other people in their life. Now, the second attitude comes from verses 16 and 17. It says, But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? So again, Paul is back here uh, talking about finances, but again, he's defending himself against these allegations uh, that these false teachers have made. You remember that the Apostle Paul had been collecting a bunch of money to take as a relief fund back to the saints in Jerusalem who were under a famine and and starving and in very bad financial shape. And and so um, he had been collecting this money and these false teachers had accused him of pilfering the money for himself rather than using it for this good deed and he was able to show hey I didn't touch the money at all I didn't use it at all I didn't have my hands on it so then they had to change their task tactics and say well yeah he's just trying to make himself look good but he's actually you know this deceitful guy he's doing he's stealing his money through these other friends of his and getting the money to him that way and, and Paul's argument against that in verse 18 was this I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him Titus did not take any advantage of you did he did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps he said the same integrity that I showed Titus showed in everything and beyond that we sent accountability with him we sent this other brother and if you remember back to chapters 8 and 9 when when he was actually talking about this situation there was a third brother that was sent a guy who was commissioned by all the churches one who had been proved and tested and he was the one that oversaw and was in charge of this money and he says look you guys it's obvious it was all on the up and up these things were all taken care of so that there couldn't be any arguments 
like this made. So it's the attitude behind this illustration is the fact that Paul was not in this for what he could get out of it. Unlike these super apostles and false teachers who were fleecing the flock and taking everything they could get, he had no ulterior motives. He used no manipulative actions to get what he wanted. And if we want to minister, we have to do the same because you know what? It's hard to minister if you have ulterior motives or if you're trying to manipulate somebody to get something you want from them. And guess what? That kind of attitude, uh, it will be exposed very quickly and nobody, nobody likes to feel like they're being used. So for real ministry to take place, for people to truly be built up and encouraged and exhorted and strengthened in their Christian walk, then you have to, to think only about what they need and not about what you want or could gain from that type of thing. That's the attitude we have to have. And the fact that Paul really had this attitude, it comes out very strongly in verse 19. It says, all this time, You've been thinking that I've been defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. All for your upbuilding, beloved. Even even this defense that he's been making of his apostleship and his ministry was not about him. It was for their benefit and for their upbuilding. And, and, And I really like that word, upbuilding. Right, according to my spell checker on my computer, it's not even a real word, uh, but it's here in the Bible, so I'm going with it. Um, uh, I, if if we just would ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do, is that going to result in the upbuilding of this person I'm talking to, or not? If it doesn't result in the upbuilding, mayhaps we really shouldn't say it. Because then maybe it's more about me and what I'm getting out of it as opposed to the other person. And God's call for us is to be thinking about the other person because we're called to minister, right? Moving on. The final attitude that we need in order to truly minister to other people, found verses 20 and 21. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over you, many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity immorality, and sensuality, which they have practiced. If they are living in sin, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, Paul won't find them to be what he wishes, and he would therefore need to come to them with a harshness and a discipline, and then they will find Paul not to be what they wish, because he's, uh, he's coming and confronting them 
that way. That's basically what he's saying there. And since the passage that we move into next week deals with this topic, I'm not, not going to get into that at all. I just want to talk about the attitude that's behind it. And, and the attitude behind it is that we have to, uh, th- that he always had a desire for their spiritual growth and well-being. If our thoughts and our desires are to positively build up someone um, in their spiritual life and in their spiritual growth, we will end up ministering to one another. Because in a situation like that, instead of kicking somebody when they're down, we'll help them get back up. Instead of spouting off the latest philosophy and, and, and popular ideas from the world when somebody's looking for advice or information, we'll return them to God's word and say, what does he have to say about it? See, when we, we need to start asking ourselves the question, how can I have a positive spiritual impact in that person's life? When you ask that question, you are setting yourself up to minister to them. And biblically speaking, that is a question we should be asking ourselves all the time every time we have an encounter with who's ever in our sphere of influence. Your family, your church family, your business, your whatever. And here's the, here's the good news. You don't have to be a spiritual giant in order to do that. If you were to measure a person's spirituality on a scale from 1 to 10, right, with 10 being super Christian and 1 being, man, I think I just barely got over the line, but I'm here, okay? You could be a 1 and you can minister to that person who's a 9 or 10. You know why? Well, first of all, why? Because that scale doesn't really exist. But the second reason why is because it is the same Spirit of God working in you who's working in them. That's why Paul was able to say, I'm a nobody. But he was a nobody that God powerfully used to impact many people for Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm a nobody. Maybe you think you're a nobody because I don't, I don't have skills. I don't have these great skills that God can use. I could never do the things that other people do. Maybe you think you're a nobody because I wrecked my life. Man, there's just too much trash and too much garbage in my life now and God can't do that maybe you think you're a nobody because you're too fearful too timid too old too young too limited God takes nobodies and uses them to impact other people. And all we need is that attitude of our heart 
that says, God, it's not about me. It's about others. Do what you will. It's not about what I can gain. It's about what I can give. I'm willing to be spending and expended. And I care about the spiritual well-being of those around me. So God, take this nobody and you do something to impact people. Let's pray. Father God, the reality is your kingdom is full of a bunch of nobodies. Nobodies that you are using to impact this world because you didn't choose many wise, many powerful, many of the elite. Instead, you chose us and you're using us. So God, may we have that heart, develop those attitudes that allows you to continue to use us, that we could impact our families, our friends, this community for Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, and finish singing uh, the service with Wonderful Grace of Jesus.